Hello and welcome to episode 204 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav, still here in Chicago for one last week, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Shane, Happy New Year. Did I say that last week? Stanislav, Happy New Year to you. No, I'm not going to I'm not going to be upset that you're here, but I thought last week we said it was your last one for a while. I'm surprised you're here. You can't get rid of me yet. He's just going to come at us with needing more time off on the on the opposite end, Shane. That's what's going on. He's rolling over the PTO. You know who else can't get rid of me yet? It's the Godfather who lent me his office for this episode, Dave Harbarger. Yes, you are in my office, and I am in my partially unfinished basement, partially finished basement, because the Wi-Fi is so bad with both of us on it, and I'm like sucking in uh, drywall dust here, so you can create a podcast. Yeah, Dave, why did you choose to use asbestos? You're inhaling asbestos. You're redoing your basement. You don't have to use asbestos anymore. It's not the 50s. I'm, I just love vintage. I'm retro, man. I've always been. I've always been retro. I like original things. I'm a purist. They listen to 78 rotation per minute records. He breathes asbestos, and then you wear those like round hats that have just like red and blue stripes around the brim. This sounds like lyrics from a song. It's like, who is in his basement and he breathes asbestos? Wears a red hat. It's Dave Bilbo Baggins. On this week's show, we are chatting with. The founder of Heavy Play, Randy Chang. You may have seen the Kickstarter floating around Magic Internet recently. It was on the Magic the Gathering subreddit. We saw it in our Discord. We were really impressed with the products. Dave and I gave him some money for the Kickstarter. And then we said, hey, why don't we invite him on the show? And he graciously agreed to talk about product design in the card game space. Yeah. Not sponsored content. Just Genuine enthusiasm from us to talk to somebody who is getting to try out, live their dream of making something cool in the card game space. So wanted to bring Randy on just to talk about that. It's a good interview. So hope you enjoy it. Because we already did it. Yeah, we already did it. Yeah, that's the important thing. <laughs> then we're diving into our own personal, professional, competitive goals for 2023 as magic players, as podcasters, as friends, and as lovers. Stan, you're not doing that thing that happens in movies where you're about to leave town and then you're you're going like, I have one last chance to confess to people. You're not doing that, are you? I, I'm hoping that you would do that for me at O'Hare on Monday. Okay. Before all that, though, let's housekeep. We do have some new patrons to kick off the new year. Thank you to JMDC, Christian M, and James S., for joining the Dive Down Nation. We appreciate you all for your support. Also, shout out to Castle Orange for leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you so much. Always inflates our egos a little bit. If you'd like to support the show, you can leave us a review, but you can also do that financially over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing Magic online with a Mana Trader subscription. Use promo code thedivedown10, all one word to get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. You can also save some money while playing Paper Magic. Over at Nerd Rage Gaming, we don't get a kickback for this. This is just for you, the listener. Use promo code DIVE8, get 8% off your order of Magic the Gathering cards. Now we're going to do a seamless transition into our interview with Randy Chang from Heavy Play. So join us for that. 
And afterwards, we'll be back to talk about our goals for 2023. I'm just going to assume that you know Tanner, our editor, is just going to put some some cool sound effects, some kind of like shimmer, some dream sound, make this transition real smooth. Ladies and gentlemen and everyone else aboard, transition TDD1. This is your editor speaking. First, Happy New Year. We're glad you're making this transition with us. On the other side, you'll hear from Randy Chang, founder and CEO of Heavy Play, about some, my notes say here, super dope, very sick play products that, again, referring to the notes, most definitely have a vibe. I'll remind you to have your headphones and volume knobs in proper position, and should anything go sideways during this transition, remember that it's standard operating procedure to hit the fast-forward button on your own podcast player before tapping the screens of those near you who may need assistance doing the same. Again, thank you for choosing the Dive Down Transitions, and we'll see you on the other side. We are here today with Randy Chang, founder, president, CEO, and according to my records, the actual only employee of Heavy Play, the newest up-and-coming MTG and card game accessory company that we're really excited to have on the show to talk about your Kickstarter, your vision for magic accessories, a little insight into what it's like producing products for card games and a market that's pretty saturated, but maybe lacking innovation, perhaps. But first, I'd love to introduce you to the listeners. For those who haven't seen the Heavy Play Kickstarter yet, you can find that via heavyplay.com. We also have a link in the show notes. But we should also start with a brief introduction to Randy. I'm curious, what's your favorite Magic the Gathering card? Uh, that's going to be Lord of Atlantis. <laughs> um, I'm a, a fish player. Go blue. Mm, just um, a chain. Yeah, there's, there's something about playing fish that doesn't seem right. It's like you're, you're playing bears in a blue deck and there's interaction. So, um, and just f- from a flavor standpoint, you know, starting at the beginning of the game. Um, yeah. Lord of Atlantis just like connected. So Randy, did you, did you start all the way back? I mean, I, I, I watched the Kickstarter video, but it's been a minute. So I know you talked about your background a little bit, but you started way back, right? Revised around then, or what, when was your beginning? Uh, no, I, I started probably playing in like Tempest block. And then, I mean, that's back when like, you could still find all the random old cards like still on the shelf. So probably bought too too many packs of like Homelands and Fallen Empires, and then you know realized that's garbage. Um, but yeah, I've been been playing a long time. Just kind of I think like a lot of Magic players have uh, taken breaks here and there when there's other stuff in life. But the the game brings you back. So there's like lots of play during that that time up through like Invasion Black, and then came back during Ravnica and played for a long stretch, and then cons block I, I hear you guys talk about it yeah that was a period of like okay the, the format's great let's play a ton um so you know not always playing but when i am it's it's with that spike mentality of like I, i'm here to you know win and play a good deck so merfolk's your all-time favorite deck is there a favorite deck is there a deck that you performed the most with like a standard format that you remember the most if you're because i know you got those spike memories too um man going way back it's like like rebels with like Lin Simi. Sure. Uh, wow. Yeah, during that period, there's something about like white weenie that, yeah, I, I just connect with too. Yeah. Yeah. It's an odd, that was a powerful deck. Yeah. Wasn't rebels a deck that like saw bands in that era of standard. Yeah. And that's like when block constructed existed too. <laughs> Lin Simi was out. Um, but that was like against like, 
like rising waters and this is going way back but that that was like a fun time to play yeah yeah those are awesome decks so how do you play magic today like what what's your favorite format how do you engage at the moment yeah i think for for me now um i'm a dad of like two young kids a a four-year-old and almost two-year-old so my my play group has shifted to uh dads who are designers and magic players who wait for the kids to fall asleep and then jump on spell table and try to squeeze in games here and there. But it, it's been pretty difficult to make it to an event because uh, most of the time it's booked with the kids. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, I, I happen to be a designer as well. I'm a graphic designer. Um, I have two young children, and my way is sort of like same. wait for the kids to go to sleep. I hop on moto a lot, or I do the podcast with these guys, but definitely like trying to figure out how to stay with the magic dads as a way to engage. You know, our, uh, our discord even has an extremely active parenting channel where the magic dads talk to each other about, Hey, you know, what do you think about this game for my kid or whatever? But, um, yeah, so I, f- I feel that for sure. And one of the muted channels. Yeah. Shane mutes me. that channel aggressively. He's, he has no reason <laughs> to be there, but yeah, that's awesome. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Yeah. I guess what we should talk about is why we have you on the show. And it's we actually just came across your Kickstarter for the your company, Heavy Play, and all the stuff that you are making with it. And honestly, we were just intrigued by it. We just thought it was uh, looked really cool, looked like a fresh way to look at some products. And importantly, I think for us and people listening, is that this isn't sponsored content. Like we were just interested in it. Dave and Stan just were like, yeah, I invested in the the Patreon. It seemed really good. And uh, we reached out to you to come on the show because we have interest in talking to you like as a designer, as a product creator. And you did send us some stuff to tr- check out so that we could actually talk to you about it and talk about our experiences with it. But long story short, uh, we're not getting any cash from you. Uh, you're not getting any cash from us. We're just here to talk about a cool magic product. Well, he he might be getting some cash from me and me and Dave because I, I provided my credit card number. True, true, fair. But let's talk about it. So so heavy play. So why? Yeah yeah why why yeah why does any of this exist? Uh so so for me like I've been playing Magic forever and you know I have a sketchbook of just these are all the product ideas around Magic that I wish I saw. Um and then my my background as a designer is from the mobile accessory space so cases, phones, tablets, things like that. I worked at Spec Products for for seven years and then most recently was VP of Design at PopSockets uh, for four years. So similar kind of size product and there's like a mobility challenge there. Um, like the, the huge difference between that industry and what I saw in the, the gaming space was one is just like build quality. Like if you've ever taken apart a, a flip style deck box, those things are chipboard, it's cardboard inside, you know, most of the the stitching is fake, it's hand glued, you squeeze it a little, you hear the creaking inside, so just like build quality as a designer, man, I've always looked at the products and been like, someone can do this better, Um, and so I felt like there was one opportunity there just to elevate the product, Um, and the next was just from an an experience standpoint, Um, so many of the existing companies are more rooted in collectibles and you see this in like the naming of the brands and the products and it's it's all about you know protection and guard or shield and it's focused on the cardboard and not necessarily like the player the game and so thinking about that it's like what is the opportunity here for 
players and, and the focus on the game experience as well as like the game day experience and how to give you that edge. So that, that was like the insight. And so that led to the name heavy play, you know, like kind of a, a play on the card grading system. So rather than being gem mint and, you know, we're all about putting things in top loaders and preserving them and never touching them. Like we're here for people that actually play their cards Right. It's about the the play experience. Yeah. And great job on the name. I got to say, as somebody who works on naming sometimes, it is not easy. And so great job on getting a name that I think was resonant immediately with the audience. And then also getting a URL, like yeah. a URL that was clear there. Because I, I fi- actually find it hard to believe that heavyplay.com was free. But good job on, on getting that good primary URL, if you know you know what I'm saying. Oh, so, someone was squatting on it. So I had to pay for it. Oh, but I but I got it. Yeah. Hopefully not too much. Fingers crossed for you there. But yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. Yeah, I mean that's a great insight. That like I mean I I, I feel like uh, that was a really good good product pitch from someone who knows how to talk about the design work that they're doing. Right, like that you crystallized that insight was really great to just say like it's nobody's talking about the play experience on these things. And I think that that is true when you look at the products that people have. And I'm not trying to talk badly about the products that are out there in the market necessarily, you know what I mean, right now. But I love that thought that it's really, how can I improve the experience of using these things when someone's actually playing a tournament instead of just when they're in your backpack or or just protecting the cards? Yeah, I think something else to look at is like PC gaming and esports where like the accessories market around gaming for that industry is about like giving you a competitive edge. Uh, but that doesn't really exist within the card gaming space. Like a, a playmat is a playmat, a deck box is a deck box. It's, it's largely been commoditized and it's about more of like a, a self-expression play, right? It's like, what is the print on this playmat um, versus there actually being uh, an experience difference and trying to give you an edge. I, I would think, though, that like to some extent, the higher quality products in the accessory space also exist to offer convenience, right? Like via playmats, like playing on a playmat is more convenient than just like a plastic picnic table. Yeah, if you but if you look at existing playmats, like everyone's kind of making the same thing. So I think there, there's no question of like playmat versus no playmat. Yeah, there, there's an upgrade of that uh, play experience, but to a large degree, everyone is making. The same product today. So, what's different about the heavy play stuff that you're working on? I mean, like it's pretty. When you go to the the Kickstarter page, you know, we we can see the the video that you have and the features that are listed and things like that. But really, what is your incentive for doing something new here? Like, what what was missing from the existing product suite that you wanted to to you make a product that that filled the niche? Sure, I think the the playmat is the kind of starting point of everything when it comes to the the product ecosystem and the the insight there was just uh you know my pet peeve of uh having to roll up playmats like for once you start playing with a playmat you realize okay i have to transport this i gotta store it somewhere so you you roll it up and and then it comes undone and then you discover oh they make these tubes and then you have to actually like flip the way you roll your playmat so it doesn't get stuck in the tube and then you realize the tube's don't fit in your backpack, uh, and then they break. And so overall, that whole experience really sucks. And then if, if you're me, you also discover that the cap to the tube breaks easily and, and disappears, and then you just have like an open tube yes. for, for the next four years. Same here. It's, it's, it's like, is, let's just keep it vertical, and we'll be copacetic, hopefully. 
Or you, you store it on the outside of your backpack in that water bottle pocket, and you hope it doesn't fall out. And then you kind of telegraph to you know everyone, hey, look, like this is like the gaming backpack. And so there, yeah, the, the whole experience I, I've just always found poor as as a user. So what is different about kind of the the core product of the playmat uh, with heavy play? Right. So there's embedded rigid panels within the playmat, so you can fold up. Uh, so rather than rolling it, it's it's a really quick folding action. Uh, so Ooh, got yeah, this Foley. is inspired by, yeah, yeah, by like folios from the kind of iPad space using that style of construction. So everything's welded together. Stitchless, it's held together with like hot melt. There's integrated magnets for closure. So same play experience in terms of it being polyester and having that cushion. So uh, wanting to replicate that, uh, but completely change the mobility and, and storage aspect. And it fits within a 15-inch laptop sleeve, too. I guess it's important to note that um, Stan and Dave actually received some of this stuff, but mine is delayed from, I think, their recent weather issues. So I have not seen any of this stuff, but uh, Stan and Dave have, and I'm really looking forward to hearing kind of what their experiences were uh, using these products for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a really nice time just taking a giant stack of cards and doing a bunch of random testing with deck boxes and the playmat. One of the things that we haven't mentioned yet is part of the DNA of this product, which is maybe the selling point for me and why I decided to invest in the Kickstarter, was everything has magnets. So the playmat is sealed with magnets and you can attach your deck box or dice boxes to the playmat with magnets or attach dice boxes to one another with magnets or dice boxes to deck boxes and more deck boxes with magnets. So everything is is really modular but also really tightly connected and i can't tell you how much time i spent playing with magnets i was like a 10 year old with like a bunch of loose magnets that are like choking hazards but now they had cards in them as well um so really excited to talk about that actual hands-on experience both to share with the listeners but maybe even hear a little bit of your reactions randy to to a we experience because we got to play with prototypes and they probably are going to be a little bit different than what actually goes to market yeah so yeah let, let me hit on the equip mag system. So you're right. All, all of our deck boxes, dice boxes, the playmat have integrated magnets. So uh, for your dice, you can kind of backpack them onto your deck box. That way, you don't have to worry about managing multiple sets of dice or whether your your deck has dice or not. I, I found that that was always a problem. That I'd have a bunch of decks in, in boulders that I wanted to take with me, and then I'm also lugging around this satin tower just for the dice, even though I don't want the deck that's in there. Um, so you're like, yeah, f- did I bring dice or not? And so this way you can just have a single set of dice and you can easily kind of hot swap it from deck to deck. The magnets and the deck boxes also allow you to bundle them. So if you have dual decks and you want to make sure that they stay paired or you're thinking about what formats you're playing and you know, I'm going to my LGS, I want to bring one modern deck, one commander deck, bam, you can just snap them together go and then the the super cool part when it comes to the actual play experience is snapping them onto the play mat so when you're packing up between rounds you know maybe you went to turns and you're stressed out you're a little like tilted and you gotta go find your next match right now you have to like carry all these loose things or chuck them in your bag and and find your your next pairing so this way you can just snap your your deck and your dice onto your play mat and then just carry it all in a single hand so you know, you, you can just carry it like a tray and have it all attached securely. 
Yeah, I got to say it was um, it was interesting to to actually play around with that and kind of feel the experience with that. And then think about those moments where you are kind of rushing or you're at the beginning of a round, you're like digging in your backpack to be able to find all the different pieces that you need. And then really it's, it's all just right here. Yeah. And I, I love that the magnets, you call them quick magnets. I like that it almost has its own proprietary name, but it, I, you know, I tried to stress test it and it felt super secure. I was throwing it at my couch. They were just staying on the playmat. With a deck full of cards and a dice box full of six-sided and 20-sided dice. So that felt really safe. I, I want to sh- also share, while playing with the actual playmat, one thing I found was that the backside that faces the table or you know the surface of the table has so much friction. It's just, it's just not moving anywhere. And that's not necessarily an issue I ever had with traditional playmats, but it's something that's so noticeable that if you put a card on the backside of the playmat, like you can't really move that card around. It has to be on the polyester side because the amount of friction that you've put together with whatever that material is, I don't, is it a rubber polymer of some kind? Yeah, this is a, it's like a special anti-slip polyester. Went through tons of material testing. Even that like the diamond cut pattern um, was tested against like dozens of other uh, graphic iterations. And like this holds its place. Like this has the kind of best friction performance out of everything I tested. I did find that the surface of the playmat that you play on, it, it didn't feel exactly like what I'm used to from a traditional playmat. And I don't know if that's because I had a prototype or if that's just because it's designed differently and it's you know polyester on something other than whatever stuffing traditional playmats have. Yeah, I mean, you're really used to playing on a giant mouse pad. Right, yes, which is kind yes. of what Randy calls it in the quick the the Kickstarter video. It is a giant like rubbery mouse pad. And so, what's the play surface surface made of in the heavy play mat? Yeah, it's a it's a polyester, just like you would find on a, a standard play mat. I think compared to traditional play mats, there's maybe slightly more cushion in there. You know, it depends on the the, the brand that you're going with um, for their whether they're using like neoprene or natural rubber. Um, our playmats have an EVA foam, so it's trying to get the maximum amount of cushion in there while still keeping the playmat thin. Um, so there, so underneath the polyester, there's EVA foam, and then there's the polycarbonate panels, which have fiberglass laminate on them to help cover the magnets, so you don't see the magnets. Uh, and then on the the backside, you have a that special anti-slip PU. And so this is one moment I'd really love to zoom in for a second and talk about, you, you talked about testing materials and all those kind of things. How, how, how did you do that? And how, how long did it take you to kind of decide exactly what you wanted to construct it? Because think of the details you just talked about. The front and the back have to be different. You know, we need the foam. The foam has to cover the magnets. The magnets have to be a certain strength. So they probably have to be a certain size to be a certain strength to perform like the bond that you're talking about so it doesn't slip off the mat. Like, what was that testing and iteration process like? Yeah, if you go to my garage, there's just like stacks of boxes just filled with prototypes. At home, I have my own 3D printer and laser cutter. So able to do a good amount of rough prototyping there. Uh, But then moving that over to my factories and having them, you know, build the, the samples in their samples rooms, actually uh, tooling everything up, you know, and committing to do it if for real. Um, material testing, like early on, there was questions of, yeah, how, how close is this to an existing playmat? Um, or is this more, you know, coming from the, the case space, 
you know, like a folio, maybe there's microfiber on the inside. Uh, but when you get to certain fabrics, you, you lose out on like the tapping experience. You want it to be a fast surface for your cards to slide around. So it's like, oh no, it needs to maintain that polyester that you're used to. Uh, otherwise the gameplay feels really slow. Um, and then how do you, you know, maintain this exterior that has enough friction when you're actually playing, but it's not too sticky that you can't get it in and out of your bag. So there's, you know, multiple competing factors there and just looking good right? versus, you know, existing playmats. You really think of that back or that underside as non-cosmetic. It's functional. But in this product, it's actually your, your first impression of it. So it's got to read at that level, but then also function just as well. Yeah. And I had to say, the that was the one thing that struck me about the mat was, like you mentioned, the exterior of it is the first thing you see. And I didn't even realize that there were... So when I looked at the Kickstarter, I was very into the boxes, right? And I kind of forgot about the, the mats. And then when I got the samples, I was playing with the boxes and then I reached in there and I was like, oh, the mats are in here too. And they are thin. I just want people to understand, mm -hmm. like they're really, e they're going to be really easy to fit into people's backpacks. And so I, and, and that experience of opening them up, they like they're thin, but they're solid. Like they feel like, you know, that was really considered, but, and they're not going to be bulky for someone to carry around. I, I don't think. There, are they less than a centimeter thin? Looks like it. Yeah, for sure. Yes. I'll put them on the spot with this measurement stand. <laughs> it's yeah. a few millimeters. Well, yeah. you know, I'm moving to England, so I'm getting used to the metric system. Exactly. But even, oh, yeah. even us Americans recognize that millimeters, very small. Yeah. So you're, you're showing me the, you just held up the mat with a, with a deck box and a dice box. It looked like uh, magneted to this, like, you know, folded play mat. And it looks really tidy. And Dave, Stan, you've experienced these these things with the, the magnets. How does this work? Like, is this the kind of thing like you're just going to grab it, uh, fold it, you know, slap it to the play mat, tuck it under your arm, and just like you know, walk around for five minutes between rounds? Is it like that reliable? Where you're like, I don't think this is going to fall off. That was my sense that they're not going anywhere. Yeah, that I can go from one table to the next without having to put anything in my backpack and and feel safe. Or you can't even chuck it in your backpack and it's just going to stick to the mat, right? You just grab the mat, pull it out, and you're good to go. Yeah, and that's actually kind of how I see myself using it more. How are these deck boxes, uh, Stan, Dave? Are they essentially like equivalent to like you know Ultimate Guard in size? or? So, great transition chain. And part of why is because it also helps answer your initial question about how reliable the playmat felt. Part of the security that I experienced in just my few hours of stress testing was that the RFG deck box max, that box in particular, also feels exceptionally secure because it's sealed with a magnet. So let's say someone bumps into me or bumps my playmat and knocks something off that's supposed to be magnetized to it. I don't even feel like that RFG deck box max is opening up. Yeah, no way. Totally agree. I think what's, what's really unique about the max deck box is the fact that the closure is on the bottom, mm -hmm. right? Like mo most flip style deck boxes, the the closure is on that front surface. So your your cards are pushing against your cover and allow it to pop open. So just having the closure magnets being on the opposite side of that top opening gives you like a, a tensile strength versus a, a shear strength. So you're you're just getting more bang for your buck when it comes to that that magnet strength. So yeah, it's it's super secure. So that's a unique feature, and then. Um, the extra bonus of, of all of this, uh, the equipment magnets on the back is it also allows you to dock that cover. 
in an open position. So I don't know if you've got experience that, but that that's also for people that, that want to keep the deck box open. That's kind of like the you you being able to double dip and get more value out of those. Magazines. I found that the deck boxes, each deck box reminded me of to some extent other products in the marketplace. The regular RFG deck box, I think you can compare it to Ultimate Guard Boulders, which isn't to say it's redundant or, or derivative of that, but I think that's kind of the space you're in where it's two plastic compartments that clip together. You can interchange the colors if you have multiples. But the key difference to me is that you have this heavy play system where you can attach the regular RFG deck boxes to a magnet. The RFG Max to me, Shane, reminded me of a little bit of the deck box that you use, which I, I can't recall the that specific brand because I don't use that deck box. They're they're ultimate guards too. It's the ultimate guard flip trays or the the ones that Oh yeah, the flipping tray. Yeah. yeah. They're more like the flipping trays. I will say both of these boxes are like the heavy play boxes are bigger and more like sturdily constructed than the boulders or the flipping trays, either one for sure. Like they're they're a little slightly larger, but you can tell that they're also a lot more secure. <laughs> not that I I mean I use Ultimate Guard right now, so I'm not again, I'm not trying to say something bad about that product. It's just they're they're a little bit bigger in a good way. Yeah, so in terms of interior dimension, they benchmark like one to one versus the Ultimate Guard. So for your the 80DS or the 100DS, you'll find the, the interior dimensions being equivalent. Um, they are slightly taller than the Ultimate Guard boxes, um, but they're the same sort of X and Y as a top loader. So anything that would fit a top loader is going to fit uh, these boxes as well. So if you have like an archive, you can fit all of these deck boxes within it. Yes. And that's something else that I tested too, is like, can I just put these in an archive? Can I put these in an archive side by side with my boulders? And the answer was yes. And I can even find eventually a certain configuration where it, they all fit so smoothly. Right now, my archives have like this little annoying gap, even when I fill them full of boulders that don't quite max out the space. Heavy play helped me fill that space out finally. Awesome. Yeah, the boxes are great, though. And I love the peekaboo window that you talk about on the Kickstarter where it shows you can put a card yes. that helps you remember. Because I will say, that is, I, I, I'm a person who buys accessories that are all one color, right? So all my deck boxes <laughs> are, are smoke gray. All of my archives are black. And so I have to oh label them somehow. Oh my gosh, you're a monster. Somehow. And uh, yeah, have, not having to label them is awesome. So No, I, I, I'm the exact same way. Like before all of this, all of my deck boxes were black and I just had tons of different, you know, brands and styles. But for me, I just like, I just wanted it black, but then I, I would take a few weeks off for playing and then come back to it and be like, I cannot find my deck. And then you're, you're popping open every single one. So for, yeah, the insight here was just, okay, you know, how do I make it easier to find the right deck? And then especially for people like commander players that really want to show off, you know, this is my commander, this is the signature card. Um, so for both of our lines of boxes, there is that what we're calling the showcase window. So on the max line, uh, it's a clear window with a scratch protective coating. Uh, and then on our, our baseline of, of RFG, it's just a polished window within that polycarbonate shell. So the rest of the box is matte, but then you actually have a polished section, which is a little thinner too. So it's just a bit more translucent for you to see that card. It's awesome. So let's let's talk about one last a couple last things before we let you go for the night. So one is let's talk about the sleeves. I will say watching the Kickstarter, not knowing what I was about to see, watch the whole Kickstarter about the mat and the boxes. And then you're like, yeah, and I have sleeves too. And I was basically like, get out of here. 
I was kind of like, you made sleeves as well. Like that was really oh, kind of a surprise to me when we got into the whole discussion. So how how did you approach that? That's just a totally different. I think it's a it's a pretty different space than the matte box kind of thinking. Yeah. So just from a process standpoint, like the play mat, that concept was baked really early on, and then it was okay. Let's let's think long term and let's think wide. And um, before we go and you know start designing the next product, like where do we want to be? And so that that was the time thinking about brand and competitive play and um, what is our advantage. And there's like ergonomics and mobility and protection and okay, what, what are we going to do with sleeves? Eventually we need to make sleeves. And this is also a super commoditized space where everyone's kind of making the same product. What are they competing on? They're competing on price, durability, you know, style, like what is the art print or the color on this? Um, and so for something that's so simple and ubiquitous, like where is the innovation? <laughs> where are you going to find it on, on something that's so limited? And so just happenstance of like just staring at the card sleeve. What can I do with this? There's only so much room to like add or subtract. And it was all about just subtracting those corners uh, and just a quick hack of let me just grab a pair of scissors and, and cut the corners off of my sleeves. And it, it just felt great. And for something that's so simple, it is, I actually think the sleeves are the best, biggest product out of the whole line um, with the biggest chance to disrupt because it's, mm. For me, it's just like a clearly like strictly better type of experience. Um, it feels great in hand. It reminds you of like when you used to play before <laughs> you knew there were sleeves, just like as a kid again, like what cardboard feels like. Um, it being asymmetrical is also super key so that you don't put your yes. card back in your deck upside down and you, you know, you're mash shuffling and you catch a card and you split it. That's just the worst feeling. Yeah, I would love to like um, never have to rub my thumb on the edge of my deck to be like, is this the right side or the left side? You know what I mean? Like, is this the top or the bottom? Um, and then, so it, doing the research for this, there's, there's other companies that have kind of tried to make rounded corner sleeves. Um, and then I think the, the issue with those is they round the top corners and that makes them really prone to splitting. Mm. You're really like inviting it to split. Because uh, you're bringing the seam down, so the the unique aspect of this design, which is patent pending, is the the asymmetrical quality to it. Randy, you're gonna have to send me at least two thousand of these if you want me to to change <laughs> over because this ain't happening, my friend. Uh, I I do I can't wait to like actually experience these though because the round the round bottom like makes sense to me like just like the you know the shuffling like curved surfaces should just move more nicely in that fashion. But uh, how do you guys experience that? What did you practice some shuffling up and and see how it worked? Yes, and I, I will reserve my final judgment until I can take these to like a five round tournament. I think that's really the ultimate stress test. At home, putting some cards into these sleeves, especially into inners and outer sleeves, it felt fine and great. It feels differently in your hand because it is curved at the bottom. So I think there is that you know, process of getting used to this new physical sensation. But it didn't feel less than. And it definitely f- did not feel like sharp and it was poking my palm, which is not something I've ever had to focus on in the past. But you notice the difference immediately and... I think over time, with enough experience, you, you can get used to it and maybe even eventually learn to appreciate it. At least that's what my assumption is for you, Randy, and your design philosophy is like getting people to appreciate some of the these new products and, and how they change what we're used to among TCG accessories. Yeah, I mean, I just love the thinking behind all these things. Like it, It's felt for a long time, like you said, that a lot of these things are kind of taken as given, 
right? All of the different aspects of the way that things are made and, and um, just going back and someone really putting their efforts, design sense into thinking about the details of every moment of being a magic player, playing with your cards all the time, having to sort your cards, having to find your cards into your house, sleeving them, like all of those things. It's, it's really just refreshing to have somebody with kind of like your experience and skill and, a, and another, you know, highly complex and, but somewhat commoditized space as well. You know, like cases are, you have to really think about how to, how to make things stand out in those, in that space too. And spec always did a great job at that. Pop socket was something that I know really like blew people's minds a lot too, as far as just people who want that experience of, of, of having an additional way to hold onto their phone um, and all the other things that you guys did there. So it's, it's great to have somebody with your experience come and look at this market, I think. And that's awesome. So I think, you know, to kind of close it out, let's talk a little bit about how people can support you. We talked about the Kickstarter. Um, you know, the Kickstarter ends on J January 15th. You want to talk a little bit about like where you would have people take a look at the Kickstarter if they wanted to, to find the best entry point with you and maybe kind of what your plans are in the immediate future that you're willing to share? Yeah. So the, the easiest way to find it is just go to heavyplay.com uh, and then you can just link to the, the Kickstarter from there. You know, we, we still have a, a ways to go when it comes to funding, uh, but just rest assured, uh, I will personally, you know, close the gap if there is still a gap at the end. From a financial standpoint, um, we're solid and we're committed to all of this. So everything's been tooled. Production has started on some of the products. All of this is going live um, with the published schedule. So this is, Kickstarter is really an opportunity for people to, you know, come in at ground level, get the best price get the product first, be part of the, the process. So I'd love to have people come out to support, you know, definitely looking to the Dive Foundation for that. But, you know, either way, you know, rest assured that, yeah, this is going to pass. We're, we're committed. We're, we're pot committed at this point. So a question I had, I guess, that we didn't talk about, is this kind of what you're doing now, right now? Like, are you, is this your full-time thing? Are you kind of doing this on the side? Or you're you like fully... Going no, this it. is this is the the job. This is the career. Um, so yeah, I, I left my position at PopSockets uh, just over a year now. So we've been kind of just in stealth mode, developing all these products. Uh, you know, with with my vendors, uh, getting all of this ready for launch. But everything is, is you know committed to, and there's partners in terms of distribution, warehousing, logistics. So everything is in line. We we are like full on in, in go mode. This is. This is the job now. That's awesome. Wow. Living the dream. Yeah, I I'm love jealous. It. If we could figure out a way to make this podcast be our full-time jobs, we've told people the stretch goal is $200,000 an episode for us to make this our <laughs> full-time job. So we'll see. We'll see. Someday, maybe. Is, is there a potential future where we can have Dive Down branded heavy play playmats? That's going to be the hardest thing for me to abandon my, play, my stupid mouse pad is that I just unfurl it and my opponents immediately have fear in their eyes because they know we have you know dozens of listeners <laughs> that people listen to my opinions we can make it happen we can do a collab all right all right awesome well randy anything else you want to say say to people before we kind of take off yeah ha happy to be on the podcast definitely love the stuff that you guys do thanks for keeping uh 60 card paper formats alive um, hey, we're trying. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hope our our products, our our brand, really connect with uh, the Dive Down Nation. Like these are definitely the the people that I'm thinking about when I'm designing. It's 
going to events, you know, trying to maximize win rate and get that edge. That's definitely what inspires the products is, you know, how do you eliminate distractions? How do you improve your focus so that you, you know, you play to your outs, you find the line, like all of that is just part of our DNA of just how do I squeak out a few extra percentage points? Can I use the product, but also perform poorly? Is that, is that okay with you? (laughs) That that happens. You can scrub out something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Shane, get used to winning. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's 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 going to be like O2 drops in the future. It'll just happen. All right, Randy Chang, thank you so much for joining us for this brief interview. Really excited to finally get my hands on the final product next year. This year, this year. Oh, the, oh man, it's 2023. I forgot. We're in 23 already. Yeah, so this year we're going to get some new accessories. I can't wait to take them to a tournament and, and finally beat my opponents just because I'm using a little less brain power curling up playmats and trying to find the lid to my deck box somewhere on the floor so guys as you know i'm moving to england next week (laughs) oh really it's true and i'll be in northern england in manchester and just outside of manchester is a region known as Cheshire. So to get ready for the move, I've been using Barrister and Man's Cheshire soap and I love it. It has me drinking tea, craving cod, (laughs) calling fries chippies. What's the character of Cheshire? It's a cat, usually. Feline, I would say. Oh, feline? Yeah. Stan, I... I went and I purchased my own soap dish. Okay. I got like a soap dish because I didn't have a soap dish because I don't ever use bar soap. And I was like, look, I've got a bunch of these bars of soap. I really need to start using these. And I I got one for myself for the Xmas times. And uh, I love the soap. The, the Taiga soap is so nice for like the, the winter holiday seasons. Um, I cannot wait to just blow through. I mean, I'm washing my hands constantly because I just want to like, run through it, and then have a new bar to to work with. Also, I use the Atomic Holiday shaving soap sample that I got from from Will recently. And that was a, you know, sort of a holiday creation. If you want to talk about Atomic Energy uh, scents homages. And this thing... This thing rules. Like if if you're like a big scent person and you're into like fragrances and stuff like that, you may know of the fragrance called uh, M7 Fresh. Which is like this discon- it's like this famous discontinued men's fragrance, which is kind of like this interesting sort of fruity thing. And man, Atomic Holiday takes me back to when I had like a, a sample of that, and it's just like this pineapple lime, you know, bergamot type thing going on. And I'm definitely ordering a full a full tub of that for myself. So I'd recommend getting that before it's off for the season. So Cheshire. The Cheshire fragrance also features bergamot. What's bergamot? I'd never heard of that before. Smells good. Is it a lot of stuff I like? I think it's something one of the Three Kings had with them. Well, there you go. If you're looking for a scent to try out, Atomic Holiday is a pick by Shane. Cheshire is a pick by Stan. You can't go wrong with either. If you'd like to use our promo code, it's the dive down 15 all one word, gets you 15% off your first order from Barrister and Man. Check it out over at barristerandman.com. Bergamot's a kind of orange, by the way. All 
right, here we are. And what we wanted to do this week with the rest of our time was do our first show of the year the way we've done it the last several years, which is talk about our goals for whatever during the next next year, during 2023, during this new... I can't believe it's 2023. We're going to talk a little bit about our goals as players, our goals as content creators, and maybe even our goals as people. Shane? I feel like this is something we do every year, right? We've done yes. this, I think, every... Is this the fourth time or the third time? I don't even know anymore. I believe this would be the third time because if this was the fourth time, it would have been after we had three episodes. Yes, that would be silly. I, I, mean, I think although- that we were mostly still trying to decide if we wanted to have School of Fish Three Strange Days as our theme song anymore <laughs> if we need to transition to something else. <laughs> I think there was only one episode because we were like, we're going to get sued. We're like, we're going we're to have something bad happen. Um, no, we, we've done this, you know, every, most years that we run this podcast. And I think uh, it's always embarrassing to kind of look back at them and be like, what, what didn't I do that I said I was going to do? And I think ultimately what I like about these episodes is not like holding us accountable. Uh, I think it's, it's really important to have goals that make sense to you and sort of try to drive a mindset, I think more than ultimately, this isn't work. Do you know what I mean? Well, I guess it is work, but it's not like, you know, your your boss is going to come to you at the end of the dive year of the dive down and be like, Hey, um, I think we need to some, some improvement here and some, and some uh, success here. I think really for, for me, what I like about having these conversations with you all is think, think like sort of collaborating together on what it means to improve as magic players and as people and as podcast hosts. And that's really what I like getting out of these conversations myself. Totally agree. I think it's more about just checking in on each other, seeing where we're at, maybe even seeing where each other think we're at as well and get a little bit of feedback as we think about things to do. I mean, relationships with magic amongst all of us have changed over the years that we've been doing the show in lots of different ways. And this is just another place to kind of recognize that and talk about how we want to evolve that too. Because this is a magic show, even though we've talked about not a lot of competitive content so far this week. I mean, it's just the it's the the doldrums of the year. It's a perfect time to talk to Randy. Perfect time to talk to each other. And and I think you know, with with you know, let's just talk about the the stand shaped elephant in the room on an airplane taking up at least two seats. Uh, with, with Stan with Stan with Stan leaving uh, to the UK, it, it makes sense for us to talk about, I guess, goals goal, goals for the show and just a kind of ideas and opportunities that presents for us. I will have you know that second seat is for my toddler. All right, on a pile of magic cards, on a pile of heavy play boxed magic cards, flying to the UK. Exactly, that's just where he gets the most cushion. All right, so let's talk about the show for a minute. Do we want to start with talking about the show? I think we're going to talk about it in three segments. Let's talk about the show. Let's talk about our ourselves as magic players. And then if anybody has anything else they want to throw in like a wild card bucket at the end, we can do that for fun as well. Yeah, I was thinking that was kind of my first bullet point, actually, in my goals was just like the show. And for, for me, I think my most important magic related goal is to keep this podcast going as something we enjoy doing and something that people like listening to or watching. And, you know, like I said, Stan's moving shakes things up legitimately. And I think really it provides new opportunities along with some challenges. But I think the opportunities are the things we should talk about here and and you all check me on this. Here's what I was, some things I was thinking about and they're not necessarily goals, but they're things that I think would actually be potentially beneficial or potentially cool. And I think one thing that I'm looking forward to is actually recording the podcast in segments 
where like, you know, Hey, like I'm on the mic on my Sunday morning and stand Sunday afternoon or evening. And we have like, I, I talk with my buddy and then that's a, a large part of the episode that's just kind of ready to go. And then you know, that gets stitched together with something else, maybe like a breakdown or a guest segment about like a deck or an innovation. And then Bob's your uncle, as Dan will soon be saying, uh, you got yourself an episode. I think another thing that's a cool opportunity is like individually produced content, like maybe something like a turbo deck dive or like a metagame breakdown or a league video on YouTube. Uh, I think would be cool for us to kind of make a part of the the content we're making together and individually. And then I think we have an opportunity to just have like shorter guest segments where we don't really need to have someone come on the mic for like 90 minutes. And I think we can just get people on more often for like 20, 30 minute, you know, drop-ins. Yes. But can we do it? Can we <laughs> do it? Can we ha- actually talk to somebody for only 20 or 25 minutes because that's that's actually a goal in itself and one of my goals for the show honestly is to keep trying to have us push to have slightly shorter shows overall yes i think those shorter interviews become a lot more possible if they're one-on-one as yes you know shane put it if we're doing more segments more compartmentalized pieces of content within a larger episode if it's just you know, Dave and Luis Scott Vargas. Every do they week. really have that much to talk about? Oh, I have plenty to talk to LSV about. We go way back. Way, <laughs> way, way back. Um, yeah, but I do think, you know, I would love to see if having shorter shows helps us out with a couple of things as well. We talked about this earlier, you know, gives us also more headspace to actually play the game more instead of preparing what turns out to be two hours of content more, more frequently than not on a weekly basis. And also gives us a chance, I think, to just try to like be better editors of our content before we get into it. Like, let's try to boil this down to the good nuggets. You know, like can we can we get a little? Not that I feel like our show is filled with a lot of filler or something like that, but like, what happens to a show that has the same number of the same amount of insights and fun, but has thirty less minutes in it? Is that what is that? Is that the best magic podcast ever? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and I think part of that, especially if I have the opportunity to sort of do my own stuff from time to time because of scheduling conflicts and I still have availability to, to play and, and, and think about my play and still record something, but we don't necessarily align schedules and I'm on my own or, or with an interview subject, I might look for opportunities to expand the scope of the content in a logical way, but a little bit beyond just purely pioneer and modern, which isn't to say that I'm planning to turn this to a, into a commander or a standard show, but They're for probably instance, better for us, honestly. <laughs> well, you know, the last week I've been playing vintage cube a little bit and I'm not an expert enough in the format to really talk about on the show, nor did I prepare any material to talk about it, but I can see a scenario where next year vintage cube comes back. I organize 30 minutes of thoughts on it. My experience, maybe chat with someone about it or just do it on my own. And then it's like, you guys have a modern section. I have a vintage cube section because it's popular at the moment. I believe it's the post, the most popular limited format on Moto whenever it's available. Yeah, and I'm I sure. Can see that being, I could see that being just like a really exciting, exciting way to expand my horizons as a player, but also expand the scope of the show a little bit too. I mean, even Spike like is doing cube during like vintage cube season. So, you know, the, the preeminent modern streamer is still taking breaks to, to play some cube. So wouldn't be out of place. Cube rules. The vintage cube specifically rules. 
Well, let's talk about another way we could expand the show as well that Shane hinted at and that I'm pretty interested in, and that's trying to do some experiments with video of some kind or another as part of the show. I don't know how we'll do that, but I do think that there might be, I still think that there might be an interesting way that we can pull off a show that's a little bit more of a good experience for YouTube viewers than it is right now. Yeah, I, I in particular want to experiment with uh, variable frame rate. So like have some sections in 24 frames per second, other sections in 48. Try to get that like Hobbit War of the Five Armies effect. I mean, I just saw a whole bunch of it in Puss in Boots 2, The Last Wish. Uh, that was pretty great. There was some frame rate playing around in there. And, you know, I, I thought it was actually okay in that movie. So. Wait, I, Puss in Boots has 48 frames scenes? It, it, has some, it has different frame rates. I don't think I can... Uh, oh. vouch for what numbers they are, you know, 120, 220, whatever it takes. But um, yeah, there's definitely some stuff going around in there. But I, again, I would love to wait, find a way for us to figure out to kind of put our a more visual experience together for people. Just because I think it's like we've been doing the same format for so long. Video is a channel that's out there that has a lot of people on it that I think, you know, we could figure out a way to produce something that's possible for us to do. You know, I've, we've been scared, you know, worried about it for a long time as far as production time goes. But one of the things that I enjoy in my job is just sitting down and figuring out how to work out these production kind of constraints to put together something like that, that is sustainable and, and interesting and, you know, high quality and all those kind of things. So as a personal challenge like this, that's pretty intriguing to me still. Yeah, taking on new challenges is important. Like this was a challenge for us four years ago, and but I think ultimately it became something that we were just doing smoothly. And yeah, I think it's just kind of good to keep looking for ways to keep engaging people and make things that is interesting to us and interesting to uh, you know the audience out there for sure. And then one last goal that I had for the show was just I'd love for us to try to figure out a way to come up with one more kind of signature format, not you know segment kind of thing that we, to add to the arsenal of things we do now, like the things that I feel like we have that are sort of things that we do on a repeating basis are like deck dives, sleeve, believe, heave, people's meta, maybe a couple other things that we kind of do set in reviews. that consistent way. What's that? Set reviews. I would love if there was one other thing we could kind of add to the, the arsenal of things that we could do. That's just a new way to look at a piece of content. Yeah. I want to bring back the card dive. I think that's a great place to start thinking about it. Yeah. It's been a while since we dove into a single card, and I, I really want to re I want to relitigate surgical extraction. I think mm. now is a really good time. It's a popular card. Is it worth a card? Let's talk about thoughts, Gower. <laughs> Let's go back. Absolutely. I just want to get Shane to say one more time. I don't think it's okay. It's not okay. <laughs> is it okay that people are playing surgical extraction now? No, it's not. It's not okay. It's not. Not main deck. That was a great moment in the early the early episodes for sure. Yeah, my first laugh. So that's the show. Right. What anybody else have any thoughts about the dive down as a going concern, other than the fact that, you know, to re underline what we talked about last week, we're trying to figure it out. Yeah. I think it's gonna be great. Opportunities. We're gonna we're gonna have our best year yet. I'm optimistic. I agree. We sound like we're anxious, but I'm I'm not really. This is this is me on record, not anxious. There will be something. I wanna do some videos. I wanna I wanna I wanna spend some money on expensive cameras. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I wasn't gonna make the joke, but I'm glad Shane made it uh, almost at his own expense. Like this is an opportunity for Shane to research and buy gear. Oh man, just, I haven't had to buy gear part. for a long time. Yeah, we've got all of our gear figured out, but that's because we've been just doing audio. But what if we did video? Like 
Jane, what kind of backlights do we want? What about green screen versus blue screen? Mm. I want one of those clappers, like that black and white clapper, like take take yeah. 19. Yeah, perfect. Love it. Find me a good clapper, Shane, with the right amount of friction <laughs> and that perfect clap sound. Stanislav. Shane. Magic the Gathering is a game that we all play. <laughs> Ostensibly. Ostensibly. Yeah, when we should be working. I feel okay. like I feel like you I mean, we all have magic related goals, but like I think that you executed on some goals last year really well. And I'm curious what like your next steps might be. Yeah, well, you know, I really only remember one goal that I set and then I met pretty early, and then I sort of had to just kind of figure it out from there. And that was I really wanted to play in uh one of those like showcase challenges that you need QPs to qualify for. And I, I earned the QPs really quick because I, one time I spiked a prelim, got 40 QPs, and then like next time I got to use them, I did and scrubbed out of a big tournament, but at least I got to play. But around that time, I also started getting coached and sort of reevaluating my approach to Magic altogether. And for that reason, I had a pretty good year. I Pretty good for, for myself and, and my past performance. So my good year meant I trophied three times. So looking ahead, I kind of just want to double that. Like, let's get to six trophies, one every other month. I think that's, it's it's actionable in the sense that I can make an effort to reach it. It's still, like, it's going to take luck and skill and good timing. And if I don't meet this sort of, like, performance goal, it's perhaps not the end of the world. But it's nice to have that North Star to shoot for, like, Let's just get more trophies this year than we did last year. If we can double it, I think that would be a huge accomplishment. Love it. Likewise, on, on the performance train, I only made top eight in a comp REL once this year. I reached, or I earned cash in a few events, but actually getting to the top eight, only did that in Green Bay. Let's double it. Let's make top eight twice. I think I could do it. If I keep playing, at least, I can probably get to another top eight. And even better, like, let's get to the finals. This is the year, I think, that we can finally, like, we can we can focus in on one deck that, like, I know that uh, I understand really well and do pretty well with. I think I can just, if I stay focused on that and not convince myself for some reason to, like, play an ill-advised version of Murktide or four-color Yorian or four-color Omnath, I picked up after Yorian got banned. Let's just like stick to the goal, stick to what we're good at. Like I think we'll see our our best results yet. So that's that's some of my um, performance oriented thinking for the year. And one last one, one last one. I played four or five RCQs throughout the year across the the two seasons we had this year. Never got the invite. God, I'd love to get that RC invite. <laughs> For sure. Just one of the seasons. I mean, the problem is you're going to have to play Pioneer. Well, no, you're not going to have to play Pioneer. No, no service have all sorts there. of stuff. You're just going to have to do it to go to the RCs. Or, I mean, I might have to play Standard. And there's more than two RC seasons per year. And this mm-hmm. is going to be the first time we have a full year of RC seasons. It's not outside the realm of possibility that I could qualify for a modern RC. I think... When they first made the announcement of the new organized play system, they said it was going to have modern pioneer and standard support. So it could happen at some point. Yeah. I have my doubts about one of the RCs being anything other than pioneer and standard, but I would be thrilled if it was. It would be a great thing for us to cover on the show for sure. 
uh, Pioneer is good. Covering Modern at that level of competition would be even better. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, Stanislav, like I, I know that these aren't your, I think the driving goals, but like you know, I th- I think it's really Im- important for me to critique these, uh, not actually critique them, but like you know, I th- the stuff like this is so like out of your control. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think like ultimately, where it's like, yeah, with like playing well, continuing to develop, have enough reps, like stuff like this sort of starts happening. I think that's like sort of what what stuff like this is, right? It's like let's say let's say you're winning at fifty eight percent, right? Like you're you're better than average, and just you know enough enough darts thrown at that fifty eight percent, you know, win rate is going to get a few bullseye here and there, right? And I think that. I don't imagine you staying up late at night and being like, I need to grind. It's December. I didn't trophy yeah. six times, right? I think it's kind of like <laughs> just sort of good to be like, yeah, let's just see if I can get six. That, that'd be cool. Like, here's sort of like a, a developmental goal. If I see it happen, I know that I'm improving type thing. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great way to put it. And and you're totally right. Like, this is not how I'm going to necessarily judge myself, per se. This is sort of, you know, as I put it, like, this is just the North the, the North stars that I'm sort of pursuing and working towards, because these are maybe some of the accomplishments I'd like to reach. But I also fully recognize that I could be doing everything right. And, and, and still the axle breaks on my vehicle and I catch dysentery and, you know, <laughs> you're, 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 you're losing oxen when you're fording the river. Ex- exactly. Even the banker can lose a few oxen. Yeah. And, and, and to that point, like, I think there's a couple more process oriented goals that are, much more within my control that I have on my cheat sheet. You know, for one, I'd really love to fundamentally improve my understanding of specific matchup dynamics. I think players of a certain skill set recognize, you know, how and why hammer time is good against something like four color control, where I might hear it and and internalize it and, and maybe trust it. And maybe we even see that from time to time in results, but like, getting down to the granular level and, and sort of understanding like what are the important cards in given matchups in a vacuum, I think could help me just sort of like understand what I'm playing for around and against and also just be a better analyst, you know, for the podcast. I think that's a really great skill to have is sort of just like seeing in this case, the trees from the forest and knowing like what cards are doing against other cards in decks against other decks and you guys joke about my casual disdain of Pioneer, but I want to like Pioneer. Like, this is the year I'd love to find a Pioneer deck that that maybe speaks to me on the same level that Rhino speaks to me in Modern. And even though I will sometimes dabble with other Modern decks, like there's the one I always go back to, and maybe having that in Pioneer, just to have more enjoyable magic to play, I think would be a good thing to have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's similar vein to what you're talking about, Stan. I just want to learn more new decks. Like, mm. I feel like I have been dabbling around with things here and there. I think I actually spent a good amount of time playing Pioneer this year and learning some new decks. But in modern, I feel like I want to make sure that I'm up to date with the number of, um, you know, the way that the metagame really works now and that, you know, I'm really experiencing the latest decks and not just trying to play like, better versions of old decks and things that I'm holding on to from the past. So, you know, like enjoyed scam this year. I've talked about putting effort into into hammer. I have been doing that a lot actually over over the last couple of weeks while I haven't been working. I, you know, I've I 
probably put in 20 or 25 matches with hammer to so starting to learn starting to get some wins i'd love to do the same thing for breach and just kind of see if i can do some other things going forward like that but um yeah i just want to expand the palette of things that i play as well what else is on your radar dave coaching whoa yeah 100%. And i see it 100%. on shane's list too yeah, you guys want to finally offer some coaching, some life yeah, coaching. I'm sure people would love to have it. Yeah, uh, but no, I just feel like I am. I really just need outside feedback right now because there's just some stuff that I feel like I'm clearly doing that's like not working in Magic, and I just want to get some feedback from some from some good players and see what I'm thinking about badly. Yeah, because my win rate on Moto has really taken a dive the last six months or so, and I just want to, you know, it's just time for like a refresh. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely, I feel like I'm at just an, an age of of everything in my life where it's like, I've been doing stuff the same way or the way I think is right for so long. And like, you just sort of like find yourself in, in mindsets and habits and you're not really checking yourself as often as maybe you should. And like getting that outside feedback seems like it makes so much sense, right? Where it's like, I, I do this or I think about this in this way. And they're like, yeah, that's not the way you should be thinking about this. I just, I'm about to turn 44. I've had these thoughts a lot lately to Shane, like you just expanded it out to your whole life. Like, yeah, why, why am I doing these, some of these things the way that we're doing them? Like, what am I thinking about? Should I be thinking about differently? Uh, yeah, I agree. I didn't know that you guys had coaching on the mind and I, I will just tell you that, you know, if you find a coach that you click with and you have so many to choose from that, I think it's, it's very possible that you will. Um, it's like such a low commitment for a lot of fun and potentially like a reasonable amount of upside. Most coaching sessions I've done with people are like at least an hour. Sometimes they go up to an hour and a half. Maybe if like we both have some extra time to like finish the match or fire up another one, but you almost can't go wrong. If like you're open-minded and just, you want that feedback and you actually like the person you're talking to. It's just like fun playing magic with someone else, especially someone who's very good. And it's reasonable. Yeah. It's like it seems like underpriced, I have to say, but <laughs> I'm fine with that. Demand is low, I think is the thing. Supply is is reasonable to high, but demand is low. And that's economics, baby. Love it. I, I, I have one more thing I want to say too for, for magic. Uh, you guys know, you guys laugh at me, I think, sometimes a little bit because I just basically only play leagues. Like yeah. I don't ever play anything other than league games and i just need to like take my foot off the gas sometimes and just <laughs> go play in tournament practice sometimes before i hop all the way into leaguing because i i feel like i'm not giving myself a chance to actually see how the deck works in a slightly not lower stakes environment but the people in leagues are just really good they're yes. really really good players and so yeah. it's not it's like i don't even give myself a chance to like necessarily figure out how a deck works before i just get blasted by somebody um and I, that used to work okay for me, but now I feel like I got to spend some time in my least favorite area of Moto. <laughs> <laughs> Magic's complicated. These decks are complicated, my friend. Yeah. Learning like a few interactions or it's kind of like what the general like pace of even like fetching or like land drops, all that kind of stuff. You know what I think it is too? I think you get like two more turns to figure stuff out in, in a tournament practice match. You know what I mean? Like, because in, in, 
leagues, people know what's going on. They know how to attack most of the meta decks. Like the people who are really good, if you get paired into somebody who's got one of those mox avatars, you know, and you're like, oh boy, this person is just going to know exactly what they're doing against my deck. Having those one or two extra turns to go, okay, I. I could have done this. I went down this line, but that was maybe wrong. So now I have time to adjust course. So I know next time to go on that course instead. It made a huge difference with with Hammer. I di- I swear I did two leagues with Hammer. I was like one and nine, and I was like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go play tournament practice because I'm like I'm not giving up on this. It's it's a good mm-hmm. deck. So I went in there and I played and played until I suddenly was like, oh, I just got a tournament practice room trophy. You know what I mean? Like I got five, I got five wins in a row and then I was like, okay, now I'm going to go back and I'm going to try a league again. And I didn't trophy the league, but uh, it was better. So a couple, a couple things. Tournament practice can be a real double-edged sword. Uh, sometimes it's hard to finish a match because people rage quit against good decks. Yeah. Especially if you're piling it like any aptitude and that's not always the case but i've actually found myself doing fewer uh tournament practice room games for that reason it's just like it's just nearly impossible to finish a match yeah and like sometimes i'll get a game or two in just to get that comfort level that you're referring to but um as a result i've actually done more this year like solitaire one player mm. in the open play section just mm. like once or twice strictly to like figure out what card to do you know what i mean like when i pick up a random new combo deck just to like know how to execute the combo and like which triggers to focus on and how to how to organize them like yeah there's almost no benefit to doing that versus like struggling to get through a tournament practice match that it's important to remember you have that at at your disposal as well that's a good point point. i hadn't thought about it yeah yeah and 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 the other thing dave like and, and and shane and listeners like You've done a league, you go one or you do a couple of leagues and you go one and nine. It's time consuming, but watching the replays, you learn so much from. Like, you will see some of the things you're doing wrong that you don't catch in the moment, especially once you start to have that like more perfect information and realize like what players are doing too. And, and you can anticipate it, the opponent's play. Like, it might teach you a little bit of how to understand what might be an opponent's hand based on some of their decisions during the first couple of turns mm-hmm. to see like what they're playing towards and around. I think that gets a lot easier when you get in the habit of just like not being burdened by like the stress of being in that match, but just like looking at the replay and, and getting to like sort of slow it down and, and start to reconsider like what were the other lines I had in a given position with like the cards in my hand and the cards on the board. And I think that's one of the ways that you might in, might have coaching sessions that you can also just do do on your own sometimes to to improve your play that way too. Yeah, there was a recent episode of Grindcast where they were focusing on like what good practice looks like. Oh yeah, and I think With that Ash. was yeah that Great was episode. that was valuable for sure. I think it's 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 good to kind of like you know think about even how one practices right because I I think we've definitely had this conversation thread before where it's like you know you can be doing something and not growing at it. You know, it's just, it requires a particular kind of mindset, a particular kind of approach to like actually improve on. I think that's really what you're mentioning, Stan, is a really important part of that, which is like how how does one assess, right? And that's really more far more important than like the wins or the losses. Well, nothing's more important than the wins. Good point. <laughs> Shane, what's on your mind, magic wise? Um, Anything else? I mean, the the primary thing that I actually really want to do 
it's interesting there is besides of course like the coaching thing which will be like magic online engagement but i keep saying this and i keep like not really executing on that and it's partially because of like my lack of ability to really compartmentalize my time very well but i do want to get to the lgs more regularly in the, than i have in the past i've said this on mic i've said this to my wife and my friends and it's something that like i'm just not really doing but now that the holiday stuff is over and we can get back into like a more real routine i think it's just like you know put it on the calendar you know what i mean like every other week every three weeks even is more than i'm doing now and it's just nice to like enjoy that kind of engagement with the community i like a lot of the local denver players i think keeping yourself like paper play practiced is actually pretty important like you can like i seriously was like dropping my deck like the first game when we were down in atlanta for DreamHack, I was like, what the heck am I doing? Like, how do I fetch? Like, well, how does, how does one play magic? Um, but yeah, I think it's just nice to like, you know, see the people in Denver and just make that something where I, I'm, I'm playing magic, I'm playing magic in paper and I'm seeing people. And it's kind of like just a nice thing to do for myself where it's like, not just work home, you know, see some family, see some friends now and then, but like, you know, having like a third place where it's like, Hey, work home magic. And I think those kind of things are important. I think just sort of for, you know, keeping yourself engaged in, in different parts of your life in different ways. And I love that for you, Shane. No, oh, thank you. And this, of course, goes against the last goal. And I, and Stan, I think I saw this in your notes, but I need to sell some cards. Like, oh, yeah. Like a lot of cards. Twist. <laughs> this is also in my mind as well right now. <laughs> I mean, there's just too many cards. Like, I just want to keep the decks I like playing right now and just be like, look, let's not have some sunk cost here. Like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I can sell these for 70% of TCG low. Uh, they, they're taking up space, the mental overhead of dealing with them and sorting through them and riffling through them to find the cards I want. It's like, I'm mostly playing on magic online. What am I doing here? Like, I think like the real issue for me is like, if I could just bling out rhinos and just have some like really cool infinity shocks and like cool extended art on everything. But like modern doesn't work like this. If it ever did where you can just be like, I'm going to invest in my favorite deck and I'm going to play this for like four years. I think we thought it worked like this for a little bit, or at least, and I hate to say this cause I hate, I'm not a big fan of this mindset, but I think that it worked this way until modern horizons one a little bit. And now yeah, exactly. there's a bit that's, of that's a threat that it's going to yeah. go on. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean it's Modern Horizons three is what twenty twenty four. So I mean maybe I'm good. And for the like, Hobbit, the Hobbit set though is modern. Uh, yeah. modern legal. Yeah, Attack of the Hobbits is coming out. I think Q two or Q three. But but to that point, like whether or not Lord of the Rings is an impactful modern set remains to be seen. I think what MH two maybe showed me, and I'm curious if you agree, is that modern is really stable between modern focus sets. And we haven't had a standard set create like a massive shakeup in the way that War of the Spark and like did Eldraine even have a massive uh, like Eldraine uh, introduced yeah. Oko, but yeah. like post Oko, what Eldraine cards do we still see that like aren't a handful of adventure spells here and there? Emery. I mean there was yeah. once upon a time that got banned as well. Right. There's but there's a lot of cards. Yeah, I, I think it's a little easier right now to have one deck for longer periods of time with the understanding that like you're going to maybe have to retool it or pivot when you, we have something as earth shattering as Modern Horizons, and maybe maybe that's okay. 
I think it's just like I can't live in fear, though. Do you know what I mean, too? Where it's like, oh, the op- yeah. like I, I need to have access to all these cards all the time. And it's like, or this card's only worth $3. Why should I sell it? It's like, well, because then it's gone. Then you don't have it. Then any- I don't have it. Then you don't have it anymore. And that's okay. It's okay not to have it. Um, it's just kind of, it's kind of a larger project. And like, I'm just tired of having like random stacks of magic cards. Like I'm getting slightly better at it. I have more cabinetry for it. It's just, it's still like, it's just too much. It's just too much and it needs to go away. Yeah. I mean, mine, the mine cabinetry is, beware Shane, that that's, it'll get you. My collection's extremely under control right now, but going through it recently, I was just like, Oh yeah, I probably need to get rid of some of these cards. Yeah, I'm, it, as I put it in my section, is like I need to find the courage to sell some cards for all the reasons that you allied, Shane. I, th- I think you really nailed it. And I think a couple of things that I learned this year from the events we've gone to and like selling stuff to vendors is the return investment you get from vendors that you don't get from an LGS like is a nice little added boost of confidence and courage to like liquidate sections that if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, like I've haven't played in years or maybe have never played and just kind of like sleeved up for the for the day that I might. So I'll be there with you. Well, it, maybe not SCG or maybe not Magic Con, whatever, whatever the thing in Philadelphia is, maybe not for that one, but in the next big one, I'll come back. We can go to a tournament together and we can liquidate some cardboard. All right. Any other thoughts about Magic before we wrap this up? No, just, you know, try to play some more. Just try to like, you know, keep keep myself engaged, keep myself like learning new things and I mean part of part of that will just be like, hey, uh let's not play rhinos. You know how rhinos works. Let's try something new. Like I I like your diving into a, a known good deck, Dave, and I think it's kind of something to talk to a coach about too. It's just like, hey, I want to get good with this. Like, you know, let's focus on my my rhino play right now and then like, you know, after a few sessions we'll start something completely new. Uh I think there's just a lot of there's a lot of game to play, right? But Dave, do you have any kind of like personal goals? Anything that you just want to like do a little bit differently or, you know, just ways to keep yourself entertained out there? I think my big one actually just relates to what you were saying, Shane, about like questioning things I've been doing for a long time and why they're being done that way. Well, like you how, know, you, like how you, you crack your egg, how you, how you make yeah, your soup. Even, even down to that, like, exactly. <laughs> Like, why am I, why do, you know, what are my techniques for, for this? Like, do I have to be the person who always wears black V-neck t-shirts yeah. all the time? And that's just all I do. Like, you know, I just, you know, like I said, I'm coming into middle age, gonna do, gonna do some weird stuff here. So oh, I just, perfect. the main Love thing that has just stay, stay, we're going to try to stay curious and engaged in the world, even though there's lots of forces that are trying to make you sort of not do that like that's probably the big thing that i've been thinking about the last couple of weeks uh interacting with certain people in my life who maybe aren't staying engaged in the whole the whole world and being like man i do not want that for me going forward in my in my life yeah i've been finding some like even just easy stuff right where it's like a a new podcast like i'm listening to like i'm listening to like i think i'm engaging a little bit less with magic podcasts right now unless the topic is really interesting because I sort of just use them as like time killing, right? Where it's like I'm driving to work, I have a commute now. Let's see what this episode's about, and like just have magic noise. And I'm trying to like have different kind of noise right now. Where it's like, oh, like randomly, I came across like a a seven part podcast 
that's all about the history of like essentially like uh, preppy fashion. Yeah, yeah, and then like, and I listened to that person on. Yeah, she wrong yeah, about. it was on your wrong about, and oh, I and I, yeah, and I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I okay. downloaded the whole season of her actual full length podcast, and like, it's just interesting. It's just like interesting to sort of like just a total new topic to to listen to and to like, and there's a lot of stuff out there, right? And I think sometimes it takes a little bit of effort to like you know find the signal through the noise or find something that you really engage with or really like. But I think that that's something that I just, I, you know, you know me, I always like diving into new topics, but like you can do it in bite-sized ways as well. You know, I don't have to like, you know, become like a, a, a fashion critic by any means. I can just be like, yeah, this is a cool seven part series. I learned something. Let's move on to the next new interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. I feel a lot like you and I are tipping dangerously close to being like, we're going to go out and buy sports cars soon. Like we're entering like that era of our. Perfect. <laughs> 40s middle age of your 40s yeah exactly well in, like, in colorado we buy oh. like large four-wheel drive vehicles and like start going like off-roading and stuff like that so yeah and athleisure yeah, i know it'd be perfect i skipped that episode of you're wrong about should i listen to it or should i just dive right into the seven part series just do the seven part series yeah I it's think. a good episode of you're wrong about but it's you might as well just listen to the show i just went straight to beanie babies perfect that's a good one that too. was good i listened to that one too that was good yeah. sarah marshall listens i know hey sarah <laughs> Hey, Sarah. No, no, uh, no, uh, no, player. Sorry for your loss this year, but you'll, you'll find your way. I feel like you have a lot of life changes coming up, Stan. Do you have any kind of goals related to those? My wife and I were talking about this just yesterday or two days ago on our, on our drive to our new year's dinner. What are our resolutions and goals for the year? Considering that we are about to uproot our lives. Um, you know, it'd be nice to just make a good new friend in England. Wouldn't, doesn't that sound great? Just have an English, an English pal yeah mate i think that's what they call it mate yeah really you have improve, to call, improve my british accent i guess that's goal number one you have to call him our kid is what i've i've heard as i told you via text that you have yeah, to go how's our kid doing today is that what how people talk in manchester apparently it's more like our kid yeah like it's a ar bit, like a pirate yeah yeah i don't know it's it's this is boring and, and it's not too personal but it's about my personal life but it's just like figure out how to build a new home and how to like assimilate to a new culture where people talk different and use different words for things that i'm not familiar with and probably reevaluate the things i eat and have access to because certain foods just don't exist in england as readily unless you cook them yourselves vegetables yeah <laughs> it's just like learn how to eat beans three times a day um yeah yeah beans on toast beans on still, toast that's still a work in progress like honestly my goal my short-term goals is like Find a place to live. We yeah. only have an Airbnb booked right now because renting a place in the UK while you're in America is a near impossible task. Um, so we'll we'll let you know how that goes once we once we do it. I mean, you can you can fit that in between prepping for episodes, right? Finding a house. Yeah, you know, I I just need to figure out if I want to live in Charlton Cum Hardy or West Didsbury Village, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or Cheshire. Apparently, well, Cheshire is a whole region. That's like saying like, do you want to live in Cook County or do you want to live in Glencoe? Mm -hmm. David, you fool. What are you, the sheriff of Cheshire now? Is that what you're telling me? I don't know yeah. if I can afford that council tax band, David. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, uh, my friends, we, we do not usually check in on our goals, but I, I think that we and the audience will be seeing how we execute on our, our show goals. And, you know, if, if we start talking about our coaching sessions and, you know, we're moving forward on that as well. So thanks for sticking with us for another year. And I'm looking forward to some cool stuff in 2023.
Yeah. And so this is my last episode for a few weeks, maybe a month. We'll see. I'm hoping to be able to join you guys sooner than later, but I know there's going to be a little resettlement period where I kind of figure myself out, try on a couple, like, do I want to do like a, a South English accent? Do I want to just like dive right into like a thick Scots accent? I, I don't know. So hopefully new me when I'm back, but I'm excited to listen to the dive down as a fan for the next few weeks. Um, as I take the tram to work along the canals of Manchester. But until then, that does wrap up this week's episode. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down or gmail.com. If there are any members or listeners of the dive down in Manchester or Northern England, please do reach out to me via the dive down. I'd love to hear from you and figure out where I can play and where the good games are at. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Also, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down 10, all one word, to get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using promo code the dive down 15 for 15% off your first order. And if you're playing Magic, with paper cards you can save some money over at nerd rage gaming with code dive eight to get eight percent off your order from nrg as always special thanks to the bands nowhere in space flood for letting us use their music and until next week get out there and have a happy new year 